Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Immigration Briefs, a podcast that reviews and highlights the most important immigration news of the week for businesses and individuals. My name's Adam Frank, and I'm an attorney at the law firm of Frank and Delaney Immigration Law, LLC. There was a lot of news this week, so let's get to it. First comes from the CDC. It's a news release adding the COVID vaccine to the list of required vaccines for those wishing admission to the United States. For those who are unaware, there are a list of grounds for which people would be inadmissible to the U.S. That is to say, they would not be able to enter the United States on a non-immigrant or immigrant visa, and they would be unable to extend their status in the U.S., change status from one non-immigrant status to another non-immigrant status, or adjust their status to a permanent resident in the United States. One of these grounds of inadmissibility is a medical ground. Now, this started in the Immigration Act of 1891. At that time, it indicated that persons suffering from a loathsome or a dangerous contagious disease would be barred from entering. Now, that's since been updated, and now what the law states is anyone with a communicable disease of public interest, as determined by the CDC, would be barred from entry. In addition, in 1966, the law also started to include vaccination requirements. states that an immigrant must receive a vaccination for any vaccine-preventable disease recommended by the CDC's Advisory Committee for Immunization Practices, and that is age-appropriate for the person. Now, it is that committee from the CDC that came out with this new requirement for the COVID vaccine for all immigrants. And it goes into effect on October 1st, 2021, and it will apply to any application pending at that time or filed after that time. Now, there are a couple of exceptions to this requirement as well. First, for those whom the vaccine would be medically contradicted, so those under the age of 12 and those whose doctor indicates they have a condition for which the vaccine should not be given, as well as those in an area in which the vaccine is not readily available. And in addition to that, USCIS will make case-by-case exceptions based on moral and religious beliefs of the person. Second news bit we're going to look at comes to us from J.D. Supra. It's an article regarding the increased number of employment-based immigrant visas that will be available in the upcoming fiscal year, which is the 2022 fiscal year starting on October 1st, 2021. Now, every year, there are a new batch of employment-based immigrant visas available for immigrants. And as stated, the, the USCIS operates on a fiscal year basis. So those new visas come available October 1st of every year, and they need to be used by September 30th of the following year. Any employment-based immigrant visas not used that year will be allocated to family-based immigrant visas for the next year. And any family-based immigrant visas not used will be allocated to next year's employment-based green cards. So for this upcoming fiscal year, the 2022 fiscal year again, starting on October 1st, 2021, all the unused family-based green cards from the 2020 fiscal year will be reallocated. And that 2020 fiscal year started on October 1st, 2019 and ran through September 30th, 2022. Now, in general, family-based immigrant visas are allocated to the Department of State and they 
in general, do a good job using them up every year. However, last year, due to COVID, there were approximately 150,000 leftover family-based immigrant visas that will now be allocated to the employment-based green cards this coming year. This means that this fiscal year, there will be more than double the normal number of employment-based immigrant visas available, approximately 290,000. Now, it should be noted that the majority of these will go towards the current backlogs, which in this case are mostly for India and China. If there are any left over at that point, they will be allocated to other countries and categories, but for the most part, all these additional visas will be allocated towards that backlog. The next article is about another area of inadmissibility, the public charge area. Now, the current law, which comes from a 1999 memo, defines a public charge as someone who is dependent upon government welfare. In other words, someone who derives more than 50% of their income from federal welfare. Now, this definition does exclude things such as food stamp, housing assistance, Medicaid, and similar non-cash payouts. This rule was changed under Trump. It was expanded in two ways. First, to include additional federal benefits, most of those I just indicated, food stamps, public housing assistance, Medicaid, etc., would all be counted towards whether someone was a public charge. Second, they changed it from measuring 50% of your income coming from federal sources to usage of any federal benefits for an aggregate of 12 months in the course of any 36-month period. So, for example, if you received food stamps for six months and then were off for six months and then you received them for another six months. That would be a total of 12 months and it occurred within a 36-month period, so you would be found to be a public charge under this rule. In addition, if you used more than one benefit in a given month, then that month would count twice. So for example, someone who used food stamps and received Section 8 housing in a six-month period, that would be considered 12 months over the course of a 36-month period, as opposed to just six months because they used two benefits during the same six-month period. While this new rule was eventually implemented, it was mostly held up by the courts, so it didn't affect too many people. And when the current administration was sworn in, one of their first acts was to rescind this order. So we are back to that 1999 public charge definition. However, a proposal was just put out by the current administration asking for feedback from the public on how they should change this definition of public charge. Now, while it seems as though the rule could go either way, either becoming more or less stringent, because the current administration passed Executive Order 14012, in which the president indicated that he wanted all federal agencies to remove barriers to legal immigration, most likely the point of this new law and in crowdsourcing what the public charge rule should be is to make it less stringent and to remove some of the barriers for illegal immigration caused by the public charge rule. We'll wait and see what comes of it and update you as soon as we hear more. Now there's another report from the Voice of America, which stated that on Monday, August 23rd, 
Democrats unveiled their initial framework for the 2022 federal budget. There were two immigration-related items in this framework. One was a pathway to provide permanent residence and ultimately citizenship to undocumented but qualified immigrants. Second was to increase investments in smart, effective border security measures. Now, unfortunately, no specifics at all were given in terms of who would qualify for this pathway to citizenship, what qualified means even what investments were going to be made or what smart and effective border security measures they were talking about. So we're very unsure exactly what the parameters of this will be. However, the important pieces of this are, one, that this was put forth as part of a budget reconciliation plan. That means that the House put forth a bill, the Senate is putting forth a bill, and a reconciliation committee will get together and hash out what both sides will vote on. And once they do that, even in the Senate, all that will be needed to pass this is a simple majority. This would make it easier for the Democrats to get something like this through. However, if even one Democrat won't vote for this, the bill would be sunk. In addition, because it is a reconciliation bill, the Senate parliamentarian has to rule on whether these provisions regarding immigration are allowed in such a reconciliation bill. So it is possible that the parliamentarian could come back and say no, in which case they would be stripped out and Democrats would need to find another way to get this bill entered. We, again, will keep you updated and keep a watch on this and let you know if anything else happens. There was an additional article in Reuters which discussed a Nevada district court ruling in which a facially neutral law, in this case a law that made it a misdemeanor for people who entered the country without documentation and a felony for those who entered or re-entered the country after being deported, that such a law, despite being neutral on its face, was unconstitutional based upon the racist underpinnings of how this law came about. To give you some of this history, it should be noted that these laws that created this misdemeanor and felony for entry and re-entry was passed in 1929, and this was the same immigration bill that created racial quotas and the same immigration bill in which many of the sponsors and Congress people indicated that much of the point of the immigration bill was to keep out certain racial and ethnic persons. In 1952, when the Immigration Nationality Act was passed, these provisions were kept as part of it and strengthened, and new penalties were also included. And it was actually the argument of the U.S. government that because this 1952 law came about, it cleaned up any racial bias that was in the original bill. However, the plaintiffs pointed out that even with this 1952 rewrite, there were several instances where it became evident in the record that the purpose of continuing this was due to, again, keeping out certain racial and ethnic persons. Specifically, a couple of the things that were pointed to was that the attorney, deputy attorney general, who was a big supporter of the bill, and especially these provisions, sent a letter to Congress in support of it that contained several racial slurs. And in addition, Several Congress people referred to several parts of this bill as the wetback bill, another racial slur. Because of all this, 
The district court judge decided that the racial underpinnings were too much to survive a constitutional challenge, stated that the law was unconstitutional. Now, as rare as it is for a district court judge to make such a ruling, as far as I am aware, there has been no appellate court that has cited and said that a neutral law should be overturned based upon the racial underpinnings of it. So if this is upheld, in appeals, it would be the first time that this happens. Now we will see what happens when it gets to the circuit court as well as if it eventually gets up to the Supreme Court, and we'll certainly update you on that. The last article we wish to discuss this week comes from The Intercept. It's talking about USCIS using AI software called Atlas to first comb immigration databases to see if there were any recently naturalized persons where there were issues with their case, and then to scan additional federal databases to find any dishonest or dangerous indications about these people. There are a couple issues that people bring up with this type of AI and and overreaching of scanning of data. The first is that USCIS isn't releasing the guidelines being used by the AI to flag particular immigrants in the immigration database or to determine what dishonest or dangerous conduct is when it's going through other federal databases. That's certainly an issue that we have no idea what goes into this. All we do have is some indication that it is possible that they could even use a person's ethnic or racial origin to determine that they should take further action on their case. And, of course, this could lead to racial profiling. But without all the data, without knowing exactly what they're looking at, at this point we don't know if that's the case or not. All we know is that's what it appears to be. In addition, this would also greatly enhance any mistakes made by USCIS in terms of entering data about these immigrants. If they connect information about one immigrant to another's case or other types of things. So it should be noted that this began under the last administration. And as there was no head of USCIS until about two weeks ago, that could be why nothing so far has been done under the Biden administration. We'll definitely have to wait and see. Hopefully under the current administration with the new head of USCIS, They will either release additional information about this so we can get a better idea of what's being done and the appropriate organizations can monitor it and ensure that they are doing everything above board, there's no racial profiling and there's no issues going on. Or the current administration, on the other hand, could decide to end this program and put its efforts elsewhere. We'll update you as soon as we hear anything else on this. So that's all for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to info at immigrationbriefs.com. Music is from Steve Combs called Newsbreak. And I will talk to you again next week.